sitting here with fellow filmmaker, former roommate, and all-around amazing human, Jack, Jackie, Jacqueline Andrade. Hello. The woman of many names. <laughs> many variations of the same name. Some people call me Jennifer, and I'm like, eh, sure. Sure. Why not? Why not? Uh, um, and on today's episode, you have chosen the Canadian classic film, Videodrome. 1983, yeah. David Cronenberg. Um, so as a Canadian filmmaker, I have to ask you, have you wanted to see this movie and just never gotten around to it? If that's the case, what stopped you? The dog is not an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, she's like watching. Um, yes. So this is, it's interesting because some of my like favorite movies, I'm obsessed with sci-fi. And I'm obsessed with like 80, the 80s sci-fi particularly. So it's like interesting that this one movie I've like, and I just like created a narrative in my mind where I've seen it. Do you know what I mean? Like when totally. people t- bring it up, I'm just like, oh yeah, yeah, that, that movie. <laughs> and now yeah. I'm like, I can't, I have definitely not <laughs> seen it. But like, it just feels like I have... Um, but yeah, one of my like favorite movies is The Brood, mm-hmm. which is Cronenberg. And I and I didn't even think about it, but I I've seen a lot of his movies. And it's just weird that that one movie, which I think is like maybe the most popular question mark. I don't I, know. <laughs> I would I would like when I think Cronenberg, I think Videodrome, but I'm also a huge fan of this movie. Um, oh, that's I, lo- I I fucking love this movie. And when you you so you sent me a list of really great options, and then yeah, ridiculously good, but also yeah. ones that weren't very me because I've no, seen everything. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then when you're like, oh, I also have never seen video drama. I was like, that's it because yeah. you and I, when we lived together, watched a ton of horror movies. I mean, shark movies were our thing. Oh yeah, shark like, movies. <laughs> but like, I was like, the fact that you, like, I almost wanted to do you a service by being like, forcing you to watch this movie because I know you're going, oh, I hope I you I was trying, I was trying to think once that I was like, hey, but what's me? And the, the problem is, especially throughout this pandemic, is all of the ones that I like missed, you know, like all of the sci-fis from the eighties that I kind of slid by me, I've gone and made a list and been like, I gotta see them all. So I've like made my way through some of these like epic iconic movies. And this one I just didn't get to yet. So luckily. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. So we know it's directed by David Cronenberg. Um, it stars James Woods, Sonia Smith and Debbie Harry, AKA lead singer of Blondie, which is what? Yep. This is just getting better. <laughs> I'm so excited. It's all set in Toronto, which is also something I love watching in movies and TV. Like, I have a huge love for Riverdale because it's all shot in Vancouver. And even though the show sucks, like, Riverdale High I watch, is- I watch that show, so. Yeah. And, like, Riverdale High is my high, like, the high school I went to. Oh, my like, God. That's great. I like seeing things. So I'm, I'm excited for the conversation post-show to, to, like, point out all the different locations and stuff that we um recognized and and whatever yeah um okay so if you had to give me a synopsis of this film like what do you know okay I don't know anything but in the years of my life where I've just decided I've seen it already like you know like in circles where people are like yeah video drum and I'm like yeah in my mind I'm like okay I I already know what it's about in my head, but it's probably wrong. But, but maybe it's right, because that would be amazing. <laughs> so I think someone gets sucked into a 
movie or a video, like a, some sort of television screen, and they go on like a, I don't know, psychedelic journey through <laughs> like a crazy world of TV, then that's what I'm just imagined it's about. I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even going to say yes or no, because um, obviously I don't want to spoil anything for you. But. Okay, and then also another option that I thought it could be about is that like someone becomes a television <laughs> since Cronenberg. <laughs> and I'm like, if someone can become a fly, you know. Someone can become a TV. <laughs> someone I can become it. a TV. <laughs> so, okay. So you obviously are a fan of Cronenberg. Is that, is that yeah. right to assume? And have you seen most of his stuff yeah, other than this movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a favorite so far? The Brood, yeah. The Brood, right. You said The Brood, of course. That movie makes you feel weird, and I love that in a movie. Yeah. Have you seen yeah. Rabid or Scanners? So, Scanners, yes. I, you know, it's not my favorite of his, mm. but it's kind of, like, so in my genre, favorite genre that I am like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I think some of my, like, favorite movies from that genre, people would be like, that's a terrible movie. Like, Critters. Critters 3. People yeah. are like, really? And I'm like, but have you seen it? It's so, it's so great. Yeah. So like that, that's where that one kind of falls. I've never seen Rabbit either. And I want it. That's like next on my. Rabbit is a good, is a good watch. Um, which was probably his first like. Yeah. Yeah. Big better movie. known feature films, but Scanners actually did pretty well in 1981. And, and this is the follow-up movie to that. Um, and because of the success of Scanners, he was able to pull together a $5.5 million budget. After Ooh. Scanners came out, Cronenberg allegedly was offered the directing job of Return of the Jedi. Yes, I, and he said no. And he said no so he could make Videodrome. Yeah, I so, knew that. This I knew. Yeah, so this is like an important movie to him, which makes me, as like a fan of his, feel like it's important to me too. Nice. Um, cause like, how do you say no to a Star Wars? Like, yeah. Like not just any, like the third Star, like that's like, you already know it's going to be popular. It's not yeah. like it's a, like a toss up. Or yeah. Which I think it's just a huge testament to him. And, and, you know, when I was reading and doing the research about this movie, he's been, or he had been creating the story of Videodrome in his head since he was a kid. And Whoa. so you can tell that he is really attached to it. And yeah. for him to turn down a Star Wars film is like a true testament to that, which I think I mean, is really yeah. cool. I love this movie. It's just like, it's campy in the right way. And it's like, it's one of those movies and I'm sure we could do an in completely entire episode uh, about Canadian content, content in cinema yeah. and like how it's, I won't I won't say what I want to say about it on the podcast but like say it. <laughs> you know a lot of it can be a little bit cringy and like when you do get these like really amazing like films which I believe this movie to be out of Canada you're like I'm fucking proud of this movie yeah, like, yeah. I'm really proud that this is a Canadian movie and it also was didn't he not he only he's never filmed in the U.S. or or unless it was that one movie no, Maps I think, okay, yeah, Maps of the Stars. Yeah. He only is hitting them, knocking them out of the park, and they're all, like, so Canadian, which is yeah. great. Yeah, he's very much like a Guy Madden kind of person. Yeah. Um, and I like that a lot of, you know, I would say, like, the holy trinity of, like, 
Canadian filmmakers, uh, especially during this time of like the 80s and early 90s would be Adam McGoyan, Cronenberg and Guy Madden and none of their movies are like completely conservative or classic Hollywood. Yeah, which I think yeah. Is really, really cool. And this is certainly a staple. This is number 89 on TIFF's most influential movies of all time. Really? Yeah. That's number one. Sorry, so that's- I, I wrote down the top five <laughs> for you. Oh my God, tell me. Thank you. You knew I was going to ask. <laughs> so yeah. number number five is Pickpocket. Number four oh, is... Oh, lo- love Pickpocket. Pickpocket is an amazing film. Stop. That movie's so good. Number four is The Godfather Part One. Yes. Number three is La Ventura, which I've never seen. Oh, I haven't seen that either. Number two is Citizen Kane. And number one is Passion of Joan of Arc. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Number one. Yeah. Pretty elite choices. (laughs) So this movie is really important in in terms of what we were saying with Canadian cinema. But I'd also like to call on two of the crew members that made this, not only makes this movie possible, but makes it, you know, more impressive. And the first is the cinematographer who's Mark Irwin from Toronto. Um, He's done a lot of Cronenberg's movies, including The Brood, as well as Scanners, The Dead Zone, and The Fly. Um, But then went on to have like a very successful career in a very random way. Some of his other titles include Dumb and Dumber, Scream, 10 Things I Hate About You, The Mighty Mighty Ducks 2, RoboCop 2, and Old School. Oh my God, RoboCop 2 is yeah. so well shot. Have you, and, that yes. movie is so well it's, done. It's amazing, yeah. It's and beautiful. Like, that's just scraping the surface, surface wow. of his filmography. Like he's a really cool dude. The other person to call on would be the special effects makeup artist who is a person named Rick Baker from New York. He holds the record for winning the most Academy Awards, which is at seven. Um, wow. He's won for An American Werewolf in London, Harry and the Hendersons, Ed Wood, Nutty Professor, Men in Black, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey, and The Wolfman. Wow. And some other movies he's worked on is Star Wars, Escape from LA, Hellboy, and Tropic Thunder. Okay, so he knows what's up. So he knows what's up. So you're, you're in for a treat in terms of is like this SFX. His, is this his first? Like, it's not his first, but it's definitely within his like beginning. earlier career. Yeah. Yeah. So he Ooh. got him at a good time, which is body I think, really gore. Cool. Body gore. I'm body trying to gore. Get like what happens in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> so the bu- the budget, as I already mentioned, was five point five million. It only grossed two point one million dollars in the box office. Wow. So it was not seen as a success because it didn't make its money back, but it's garnered great success with time. It's a cult classic, and that's yeah. just what happens with cult classics. It's loved the more time passed like a good cheese and wine (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of cult classics start out as like like failures yeah like rocky horror is a perfect example of that just yeah it's just a good movie and i i personally believe obviously i've never spoken to him about this but um (laughs) cronenberg didn't care he just wanted to make the movie he wasn't worried about if he had been thinking about it that long and he turned down star wars i mean he just needed to make it it was like he had to Totally. Um, That's cool. In terms of just the climate of 1983, other big movies that came out that year, I think this is a really great year for movies. Um, The Outsiders, Risky Business, The Big Chill, Scarface, Return of the Jedi, and Terms of Endearment, which won the best picture that year. 
Wow. So it's a good, good year. <laughs> 1983 is pretty like. A lot of sci-fi, like weird sci-fi monster movies too. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. <laughs> um, Empire Magazine calls it a perfect example of body horror, which I know thrills, thrills both of us to the bone. <laughs> I got the chills. <laughs> Variety says the film proves more fascinating than distancing. Uh, Washington Post did not like it. They called it simultaneously stupefying and boring. Okay. So, so strongly the opposite. Yeah. And as mentioned, it's on TIFF's 100 most essential films on the 89th slot. So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Do you have any like questions, comments, concerns? Mm, Anything else you want to say before we dive in? So it's James Woods, right? Mm -hmm. What a guy. Yeah. Do you have a, James, a favorite James Woods performance? I'm trying to think of James Woods. Give me like top, your top James Woods. So my personal, uh, my personal favorite, and this might be a wish-washy choice and people might roll their eyes at it, at it, but he's the dad in The Virgin Suicides. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I love him for that. He has um, a great like vibe. His yeah. face, everything about it. He's got a great voice. He was in Contact. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen Contact. Oh, he was the doctor in John Q. I'm like, where do I remember him? Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Wow. <laughs> long, long, long live the new flesh. Lots to unpack there. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I wrote notes and they're ridiculous. <laughs> I have so many notes. So I'm, let's just let this flow as naturally as we can. But let me start yeah, off by, sure. by asking, what did you think of the movie? Uh, I liked it a lot. I liked the fact that it was almost like an experimental vibe, like a very, like, you could interpret it a, a couple different ways, which is nice. And also a really fun, like linear plot too, that you can like definitely follow. So that was fun. And then it had like weird, dark, creepy vibes that were my favorite. I love when it's like a sci-fi horror, but you're like only creeped out later when you're in bed falling asleep and you're like, why am I feeling this still? <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's very true. This this movie is is technically under the genre of body horror, but I think it could be a lot of different genres. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like yeah. it's definitely sci-fi. It's definitely thriller. There's a bit of a romance storyline in there. Oh yeah. Um tell me like just give me your notes. Like what do you what do you think My first <laughs> note is OG Siri. Like that first scene nice. yeah <laughs> I was like is this the OG Siri and then was like hilarious that that's the, the first thing I opened with my first thought and then 
how interestingly the whole plot kind of links to us as people now with the internet but obviously with the VHS. <laughs> certainly t- certainly timely thematic wise. Yeah, whoa. And that so that kind of kept me through the whole the whole thing like interest wise with just being like, oh my gosh. I, I mean I know Cronenberg's always kind of like making the point that like where technology is so intertwined with people. So this was like great to see it literally intertwine with human bodies. So yeah. that was cool. Like, not only is Max dependent on Videodrome, but he is Videodrome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man, when that gun fused with his hand, I was like, well, this is the best movie ever. <laughs> yeah, like, how good are the special effects? Like, it's Oh, just, they're incredible. The whole style of the movie is, I believe, up both of our alleys, certainly mine. Yes. But just, like, the clothing, the music, the style, like, it's just so, like, oddly sexy and maybe oh, that's just yeah. like my own thing but like well, it's the a whole sexy thing movie. <laughs> like it appeals to the senses that they're trying to make a point about you know what I mean like it's so sexy and like it's one of those things like it's grotesque but like you want to watch and you're like into it you know and and that's the whole point they're trying to make while showing you images like that so it's that's cool I did write a whole section about sound design. I just love the sound design. I think like, I always think about sound design first, weirdly, when I'm watching movies because it really like sucks you in and it's the kind of thing you you kind of forget about when you're in the theater and when you're watching a movie, you're like visuals, visuals, but then if they can like suck you into a scene with, I think it was the first thing I noticed was... um, the Nikki Brown emotional rescue show. So as he's like entering the building, she's talking in this like intimate voice, which was obviously very put on and fake, which is another point to make, but you can hear it. Like, it's like, you're right there. And it's only that you don't hear all the people like walking by and whatever. And then it kind of opens up. And it's so like just opening the scene with that is so interesting sound wise. And just the cues for the score were crazy yeah crazy good yeah so good so what are your thoughts on nikki as a character because this is yeah, something i really want to unpack yeah me too i was thinking that too i was gonna ask you the same question actually i wrote it down i was like <laughs> I wonder what he thinks about because i i just like it you can talk about it in like i don't know like an existential way or like a metaphorical way but it i, I just kept thinking okay well what is this character's motivation whether she's like real or not you know because I mean that's the big question is like do you think she was real is she the like kind of like the personification of Videodrome that like sucks him into it I guess in my mind Videodrome is like reality tv like this weird like just real life I know it's a violence and obviously um not the reality tv we're well versed in but um but yeah she kind of represents that like real the like real version of a I'm doing air quotations <laughs> you cannot see um I can see them but I appreciate you know what I mean the like, listeners will appreciate it <laughs> like why does she keep saying real in that voice um yeah she's like the reality tv version of her so it's like his perception of what she really is so it's hard to find her real motivation or like any sort of like 
deep character. Yeah, it's definitely, I feel like, maybe not like the first, certainly not the first, but one of the first of those sort of like man versus computer love stories, like her or yeah. Ex Machina or something like that. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, just cool. even the way that they like they meet, like essentially, and now I'm using air quotes when I say meet, um, <laughs> but on that talk show and it's like on, on air, he's like, I'd love to take you over dinner sometime, which is like so ridiculous. Like no one would ever... Yeah. Probably do that. I'm sure it's happened, but I probably haven't. Yeah. But just like it is so like almost like ethereal and dreamlike in that regard as well. Yeah. Um and like Debbie Harry is just so well cast. Oh my god. Like, she's she's also such a bombshell. Yeah. Like Stop. She, oh my god. And she's she holds her own too, you know? Oh, like yeah. Oh for she, sure. Like like her being like because it was nineteen eighty three, so she was like in her prime. Yeah. with Blondie and and you could easily see any director being like okay this like hotshot musician like I want them in my movie right um, but she actually does a really Killed good it. job in her yeah in her so good yeah like you buy into whatever she's selling and that's the whole point of her role I wrote down um Max reminds me this was like in the beginning of the movie, I was getting all these different ideas, but he reminds me of what I would like imagine the head of Twitter, you know, felt like before, you know, developing all those algorithms and all those like dangerous algorithms that have weaseled their way into our psyche. But I imagine that, I mean, I have heard interviews with like, not even Twitter, I don't know exactly, but the heads of social media companies where they actually have said that they've deleted, they don't, ha- they don't actually have an account um, on their own. Right. So it's like interesting that they can at the same time recognize that it's like too addictive and too like absorbing that they actually don't participate in it. So I thought it was like, he's kind of like that that figure where it's like, you know, he starts out in control and mm-hmm. he wants this this whole television show to happen because it's gonna like take over and get into everyone's mind and and really go somewhere. And then and then it's like takes over him. So mm-hmm. I, I just thought that was interesting. I think that's a really, um, something that I wrote down as well. It's a great parallel to the filmmaker itself, because as we talked about earlier, Cronenberg was like clearly obsessed with telling the story. He turned down Return of the Jedi to make this movie and then having that parallel image of his protagonist becoming obsessed with his own art or whatever that is, I think is a really interesting thing to draw on as well. Yeah, for sure. I have to, I actually wrote down one of the quotes from the movie because it just kept, I think there was a part where I was saying technology as a new organ, as a new part of us, as a new outgrowth, mm-hmm. um, something that can change human reality and then nothing will be real outside our perception of reality. And like, I mean, when you pit, if I pitched that to someone as like, want to watch a movie tonight? They'd be like, uh, <laughs> I'll pass. <laughs> so it's interesting how this movie has like all these like concepts that excite you, but at the same time you're being, you know, visually you're, you're watching Debbie Harry, you know, beautiful bombshell and you're watching this like incredible set design and gore. And so there's like, this like tantalizing fun aspect of the movie that goes with all this like 
what my drama teacher used to call flaky pastry stuff. Oh, <laughs> so, like that's like the, the meat of everything, but it's not, it's not the stuff you, you know, you used to sell it. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I totally agree. One of the things I wrote down, this is like such a sidebar, but uh, in the last scene, not the last scene of the movie, but the last time we see Harlan, um, Max's coworker, the guy in the plaid with the vest. Yeah. And he's like freaking out and he says like, what's in the box? What's in the box? And Harlan yeah. says, your head. Yeah. And I wonder if Fincher. I thought they were going to open it. No, but I wonder because like, <laughs> that's like the ending of Seven. Where he's like, what's in the box? What's in the box? And it's Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Oh, yeah. And I wonder, I just wonder, like, if I ever got a chance to meet David Fincher, I think that's the question I would ask him. It's like, did he'd you? He'd probably just be like, yeah. yeah. Or he'd be like, no, of course not. That's my original <laughs> thought. Like, it's going to go. No, well. I thought of that. That was all me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no way that he'd be like, oh, I never thought about it that way. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I actually was like I, I was expecting him to open the box and his head being there. <laughs> I was right. like, you, you guys would do this. Right. Yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts on the ending? And like, what do you think really happens? I mean, I, I just at one point in the movie decided that when he put that helmet on onwards, because that guy was like, I'm just, I'm just going to leave you here. <laughs> do you know what I mean? He like stepped away. So for, I, I kind of just like gave in to the fact that I was just going to believe that that was the last time we actually saw something like happen in reality. Mm -hmm. And the rest was his like fully in his mind. Mm -hmm. Within yeah, video drama. He was actually acting, you know, whether he was actually like physically moving through space, I'm not sure. Like maybe he did shoot a bunch of people. But I, I think since he put the helmet on onwards, like it happened, yeah, in video drama. So fun fact about the making of that helmet scene. Yeah. It, James Woods was too scared to put it on because he thought it was a practical prop <gasps> and he thought that it was going to like electrocute him or something. So that's actually Cronenberg wow. with the helmet on. Well, Cronenberg goes, he's in a couple of his movies, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Why would he be um, like, I guess, I don't know. Is he claustrophobic? Come on. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? It was, like I said, it was a practical thing and it was probably wired up to like light up and yeah, I would feel a little uncomfortable like putting like a fucking conductor over my entire head. But of course, <laughs> if you were the director, you're just like, oh, you're like, I'll do it. fine. Like, Let's yeah. do this. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, we got to finish our day. Plug it in, <laughs> hook it up <laughs> for sure. That was an amazing scene though. I love that. Like the camera just pulls out and, and you see more of the room and it's just right in the middle glowing. That yeah. was great. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so apparently there were three different endings to this movie Ooh. that were filmed. And one, the one that we see where he shoots himself on the ship was actually James Woods's idea. Oh. And that's the one that they went with. Um, but kind of what Cronenberg wanted to end the film on was Max and Nikki and Bianca. Also, I'd just like to shout out that Bianca Oblivion is like the yeah. coolest name for a character maybe ever. Yeah. Like, it's just so good. Um, but they're all on the video, video drum set and like Max and Nikki are kissing and it's like this like kind of pseudo happy ending but the reason that Cronenberg didn't include it, even though it was filmed, is because of his like atheist beliefs. And he yeah. didn't want it to 
seem like this was like any sort of afterlife. Afterlife. Yeah, I know. He's not about the afterlife. No, he's very much against it. Yeah. Um, do you think that that would have been a better ending or do you like the ending as it is? I did have like an, like an urge. I mean, he, I did. Okay. One of my favorite scenes was when he was in, you know, the room that we had been seeing as if he had traveled to Pittsburgh and gone into that like clay walled room. And he was like whipping the TV with Nikki on the screen. That was like really cool. And then I thought, I thought we were going to come back to that, you know, for the ending or that there was going to be some Mm. sort of like, like trippy reveal about that room. But Mm. like, no, I'm like, I'm not upset about the ending. No, like, I I mean, it was good. I like that he did, he did it in the screen first. And then again, like that was the part that sold that ending, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That whole, like when the gun reaches through the screen and shoots and you're like, that's to me i think the most important point when it comes to talking about the perception of reality is like and so what was happening on the other side of that screen yeah you know i mean who knows who knows (laughs) and that's what makes it great it's like it doesn't make perfect sense like the film doesn't make perfect sense and i wouldn't ever call this like a fantasy movie but certainly a sci-fi movie which kind of falls under the same category yeah but he sets it up in a way that like we've already said like the perception of reality versus fantasy or or, you know otherworldly um the line is so clearly blurred that when things don't make total sense you're like i'm here for it like i'm i'm i've bought into this already so like why yeah question anything also if you think like i don't know i just kept thinking back to 1983 and thinking like when was the first reality tv show like what Mm. like when and then I looked it up and it was in the 70s but then I looked it up and it was basically like in the 90s is when it started like becoming a fad or a trend like what's the real world I guess or something yeah something like that kind of but I can imagine that at that time the idea of seeing people real like really like like it's a crazy idea to have like a tv show where you just see something happen real time um so yeah i really started thinking about like just the idea of reality tv and what it has like morphed into now it it just it's just so it's like an important movie for everyone to see now weirdly um you know some some films are like that it's like they've predicted the future but it's just human right like it's just human nature repeating itself in different ways it's just gone so deep now the whole like internet and technology and like just having the idea oh my gosh what was that line the television screen the television screens have become the retina of the mind's eye that like is literally we have an extension of our body now that is our that is also us mm-hmm it's mm-hmm. us in a, but it's not the real us. It's this like perceived us. So it's just interesting to see that played out in a movie in such a unique way. I, yeah, that's what I, I just kept being like, yep, that's great. <laughs> and then my, uh, my weird comment related to that is it's not really related, but um, have you seen the cell with JLo? Of course. Of course. I think we've watched it together. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we have. Oh my God. 
<laughs> that movie is like that first scene where they're the first sex scene where they're kind of you know transformed into that you know room with the I was like oh my god I'm getting like the cell with J-Lo vibes <laughs> where she because that movie starts out so regular and then gets so weird and makes you feel so uncomfortable mm-hmm. that I really I liked that it was like a it's like a flash, a flash of that in my mind. That's that yeah. uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as we've discussed before, it's all shot in Toronto. It's mostly interiors. So like, how would you yeah. know? But I definitely yeah. glimpsed some like good shots of Young Street. I don't know if you notice anything. Oh, yeah. Like, I just noticed like, just the general like outdoor space, like the like, alleyways. The streetcars, and like, yeah. there's even when he goes to the ship, it's like I can't remember verbatim what that not Toronto like, Harbor. Toronto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, all right, he's not trying to hide this. Like this. No, is <laughs> this is clearly Toronto. I did think like, why Pittsburgh? Because mm. yeah, you would think maybe more like Detroit, like something like right across the border. I don't even know. I was just wondering, like, huh, I wonder why Pittsburgh. Was he just like, oh close my eyes and pick a place <laughs> i'm just gonna <laughs> circle my head around a map there must be like a reason <laughs> i don't know maybe not <laughs> who knows who knows um do you have any other like notes or anything you want to call out let me see here it's 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 funny because while i was watching i mean i was obviously like very engulfed in the movie but at the same time i was like oh it would be because i've seen so many movies that have the same feeling and the same like kind of I don't know I mean the 80s sci-fi horror vibe that'd be good to give like a list of ones that that I that if you like Videodrome you should watch these but then I got distracted and (laughs) (laughs) was like oh my god I wrote they live you've seen oh for sure in the mouth of madness um and then I wrote event horizon (laughs) I mean like probably my favorite movie of all time (laughs) that movie that movie caught me by such surprise because I texted a friend saying hey it was like one in the morning and I was like hey I'm like having a rough night like can you send me a movie that's like sci-fi maybe on a spaceship that's like fun and they sent me that I couldn't that's that's terrible that's not a fun movie it was terrifying. It well, is terrifying. It, like uh, when Sam Neill's in like the furnace room and he's like naked and covered like, in slits and like blah, 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 blah. That's yeah. exactly it. The slit that I was just like this. I was like, oh my god, I can't, I can't not finish the like the movie. Like I have to know what happens, but I'm also not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> Next day, I was like, you ruined my sleep. Yeah, that's yeah, that's. But I loved it. I mean, it's a great movie, but not for one in the morning when you're looking for, like, I would have, like, suggested, like, Galaxy Quest. Yes. <laughs> I just needed a spaceship and fun. I wasn't, like, looking to, like, delve into, like, a satanic <laughs> journey through sp- dimensions. I was like, oh, no, what have I done? Um, I mean, I think that's it for my notes. Do you have anything else you'd like to say? Let me think. My last note was careful it bites okay i mean there are so many great one-liners in this movie obviously long live the new flesh or oh yeah that video, one's great video do- video drone is death like yeah it's just oh, i'm so glad you liked it i loved it it was great good it was uh, any everyone should watch that movie it and again like how proud are you that that's a canadian movie <laughs> 
Oh, I mean, wow. And it's so well done. It's just like... Yeah, it's a great Canadian movie. It is a classic film. Yeah. A very weird, mind-bending classic film. <laughs> Would you say that this, like, where does this rank on Cronenberg movies that you've seen? Uh, oh, uh, that's hard. The Fly and the Brood are, like, just miles above everything. Like, m- above most sci-fi movies I like, or even horror films I like. All right. That's it, really. Thanks if, for having if, me. If you have nothing else to say, thank you for doing this. Anytime. I mean, it's hard to find a movie I haven't seen. <laughs> I know. That's, I mean, that's why I like being the host. Because <laughs> you're like, I know good ones that yeah, yeah. You can pitch them to people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Bye. I love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.